Hello and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Words of Welcome, the teaching ministry of Welcome Baptist Church, Heathfield. I'm just going to pray for us as we start. Lord, give us ears to hear what you want us to hear this morning. Father, anything I say of value, help it to challenge us, help it to stick with us, help it to encourage us, help it to change us. Anything that I say that is nonsense, help it to fade away quickly and be forgotten. Amen. I recognize this is prime falling asleep weather. When someone stands and talks at you. I don't know if anyone wants to, feel free. If you want to stand up, turn around, get some blood going. I'm getting myself sorted, so I would kind of like that distraction. So anyone who wants to get up, stand up. It will help you stay awake because this is going to be long, okay? This is heavy stuff. Okay, you've been warned. If anyone falls asleep, if I see those heads drooping, I'm coming for you. (laughs) There's a threat no one wants to hear, is it? We're carrying on uh, looking at the life of Jesus. Um, Last week, we heard about one of the miracles that Jesus did in Matthew 8, and we're we're following on with that. Um, As I was thinking about the story that we're looking at, so we're going to be looking at Matthew 8, uh, verses uh, 14 to 17. I was trying to figure out, what do I want to draw out? What, What speaks to me from this passage? And I ended up going back a little bit. So I wonder if we can have uh, Matthew 4, verse 23 up on the screen. So this goes back to before the Sermon on the Mount. We spent quite a long time looking at the different aspects of the Sermon on the Mount. These are the verses that kind of immediately precede that. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness among the people. I don't know what you would say Jesus' main themes or teachings were, what would be your standout, but Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom, and the gospel writers, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talk a lot about Jesus coming, proclaiming the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, or in this case, just the good news of the kingdom. And so when I came back to Matthew uh, chapter 8, I started seeing it through this lens or under this umbrella of the kingdom of God. Now, that's an interesting phrase and not one that we're particularly used to. I don't know if you ever, if anyone asked you what it was like to live in England, if you would say, well, we live in the kingdom of Rishi Sunak or the kingdom of Charles II. We don't really talk in those ways, do we? But if you think about kind of first century Judaism, when you're under the rule of the Roman Empire, you would probably see yourself far more as under the rule and in the kingdom of the Roman Empire, or maybe the kingdom of Herod. And so when we think about kingdoms, for me, the most helpful way to think about it is how how does the, the rules that the king puts down reflect the king, because those things are always going to be the same. If you've got a king who hates people, they're not going to put in rules that are loving and kind and caring, are they? I mean, probably one of the, the closest modern examples would be somewhere like North Korea. We see how that country is ruled by a king, a dictator, and we see how his attitude towards those people is played out. If I was king, my first law would be to abolish all cats. 
Get rid of all of them. Horrible, horrible creatures. Awful. I might get voted in on that policy, who knows? Because that, for me as a king, that would be important. And so that would be a reflection of who I am. And so when we're thinking about Jesus proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, we need to think about, well, what does it mean, Jesus' teaching and his actions? How does that reflect who God is? If God is king, if God rules, what then does his kingdom look like? And there was lots of talk about this within Judaism for the people of Israel. And there were two main notions that they had of the kingdom of God. Now they believed that God would send his Messiah. So before Jesus turns up, so everything before the New Testament was a time of expectation that God was going to send a chosen one who would bring in the kingdom of God. And some people thought of this in a really nationalistic way. So you think of a kingdom, you think of the walls of a city. This is our kingdom. This is our land. The people of Israel remembered the glory days of King David. And the Messiah was going to come like King David. And he was going to cast out anyone who wasn't part of their nation. And their kingdom, their walls, their land would be whole again. So that was one notion of what it meant for the kingdom of God to be coming. And so some people, when they heard Jesus proclaiming, the kingdom of God is near, they were thinking, yes, return of the king, he's back, he's going to kick out the Romans, this is what we've been waiting for. Other people heard the kingdom of God, and they saw it more as an apocalyptic thing. They saw it more as the end of the world, that God was going to come back and he was going to intervene. He was going to cast out the wicked from the world, which basically meant anyone who wasn't Jewish. And he was going to bless and bring glory to his people. This was a more vague notion of what it meant for the kingdom of God to come. But both of these ideas are linked with prophecies in the Old Testament, and that is helpful for the passage that we're going to be looking through later. Because Jesus has come... And he said, and he was teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease. Like I said, we've just spent uh, three chapters, five, six, seven, three chapters looking at the Sermon on the Mount. That was Jesus proclaiming what it looks like to live under God's rule. And that links really well with what Joanne was telling us in terms of the pinball, in terms of the Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments were there to show what it looks like to live under God's rule. That it's a place that is truthful. It doesn't lie. It celebrates life, not death. It doesn't cover its neighbor's ass or donkey, if you would prefer. I like ass. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but that is a reflection of what it looks like to live under God's rule. And then Jesus comes in with the Sermon on the Mount, showing us, again, what it looks like to live under God's rule. Again, it's a place that's truthful. It's not lustful. It's faithful. It's a place where there isn't worry, where there is provision. But I don't know about you. I've heard plenty of political speech, which sounds brilliant. Why their political ideas are so much better than someone else's. How their notions are going to change the world. It doesn't happen. 
it's always a letdown. And so if we just had teachers talking a good talk, it would be fine. It might inspire some people. But the section that we're looking at now, the, the uh, chapters that come straight after the Sermon on the Mount, is after the proclamation. It's the healing of every disease and illness among the people. We've got nine miracles which show, which demonstrate what it means, what it looks like to live under God's kingdom. So let's see what we can see when we read our verses from uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. I want us to think about it with this lens, through this lens of what does this tell us life looks like when we let God be in charge, rather than just following our own way and doing what we want. Matthew 8, verse 14. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When the evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Jesus is demonstrating what it looks like to live under God's rule. The two stories which came before this and that uh, Charles preached on last week, and one of the things he brought out was that these first three stories are about maligned people. They were people who were looked down on and were not traditionally thought of as God's chosen people. So this notion of God's kingdom coming being a nationalistic, this is for us, not you, is obliterated because Jesus comes and he heals a leper, someone who's unclean. He comes and heals the, the servant of a centurion, a Gentile, an outsider. And then in this story, he heals a mother-in-law, another looked-down-upon person. Any mother-in-laws here? Anyone feel looked down upon as a mother-in-law? My mother-in-law gets a really tough time from me. Joking aside, a woman, women, seen as a low class in society. And it says that Jesus touched her on the hand. Again, that would be a bit of a taboo. Unless you're married to a woman, you shouldn't really be touching her. That's what my wife tells me. <laughs> See, she's not here this morning, and this is what happens. I'm so sorry. She's like my conscience sitting on the front row normally. But we see how Jesus bringing the rule of God, the kingdom of God, it's not an exclusive thing. It's not something that is kept at arm's reach, keeping some out and trying to get the few in. It's one that is welcome and open to all. And in a society where there was strong hierarchy, we see Jesus prioritizing those who are seen as low to be bought high. And again, that reflects what his teaching says. He says at the very start of the Sermon on the Mount, he lists all the kinds of people who are going to be blessed in God's kingdom. And now we see that acted out. People who are low down, bought high. It's interesting that as soon as Peter's mother-in-law is healed, 
she gets up and begins to wait on him. Now, this can be a bit problematic, and I think a lot of our language around this can feel quite difficult in our modern day and age when we think of kingdoms and rulers and a woman being made to serve. It can maybe spark off all sorts of different things which are quite unhelpful to us. But actually, the, Peter's mother-in-law's response is a natural reaction. I don't know if you can remember the worst illness you've ever had when you've been kind of laid out and you just feel atrocious. If someone came, took you by the hand, lifted you up, instantly made you feel better, would you not think, let's get some food in, let's do something, I want to I do something for you, I want to thank you. We can easily read this as Jesus being oppressive to, to a woman, that he thought, well, I'm hungry, I need some food, well, I better make the woman well to, to cook some food for me. That's not what's going on. But actually, it... It's our response, all of us, if we accept who Jesus is, that we think, this is incredible. How do I serve you? How do I live a life which reflects what you've done for me? This isn't uh, that she was trying to work off a debt. She wasn't thinking, oh, he's done something amazing for me. How can I pay it back for him? Another way that I found it, it helpful putting this in, in a bit of a modern context. So for those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm a handyman. And a few months ago, I had a message from someone down in Bex Hill saying that they wanted some work done. And my wife, Anandi, is from Bex Hill. So I said, oh, I'm doing a job down there in a few weeks' time, down on this road. And she was like, oh, posh part of town. Oh, that road. Pretty sure that's where Graham Norton lives down there. I was thinking, that would be cool. I know the message has come through from Terry, but I mean... Maybe he uses, uses a pseudonym. Maybe he, like, he doesn't want everyone to know that I'm going to work for a grown-up. And I was just, you know, that thought, that little seed in my head of, as I was driving down there. Man, that would be cool. That would be so cool to go to Graham Norton's house to do some work for him. Like, what an amazing story that would be. What an amazing thing. You can imagine my disappointment when, I, when the door is opened and Terry is there and I ask him, why are you not Graham Norton? But in a very earthly way, we can think of people who maybe we admire and respect. We think, oh, wow, I'd love to you know, do some work for them. I'd love to be in their presence. How much more so than the God of heaven who made all of us, who welcomes us in, how much more should our response not be, wow, I want to get on board with whatever you're doing. I want to get on board with what you're doing. I want to be on your team. And that's what we see Peter's mother-in-law doing. She's seen Jesus do this amazing thing, and she's like, well, how do I help you? How do I get on board with what you're doing? And the way Matthew writes this, it sounds like Jesus has had a long day. It's the Sermon on the Mount, which leads into uh, him healing a leper, which leads into the, um, Jesus healing the centurion servant, which leads into him finally coming home at the end of the day, entering Peter's house, maybe for a rest. But what does he do? He takes his own priority and he puts it down low and puts her priority high. This is what it looks like in God's kingdom. He takes our needs and makes them a priority. And so his, uh, Peter's mother-in-law serves food. She wants to do something to help him to get on board with what he's doing so he can continue bringing God's kingdom into the world. And we see the evening comes and all of these people are brought to Jesus and they are healed. Again, God's kingdom isn't a stingy one. 
I preached, I don't know if it was last year maybe or this year, but the first sermon on this series that I preached on was um, in John. It talks about Jesus turning water into wine. And that being a reflection of how God's kingdom is one of celebration. What Jesus was doing was a sign of the goodness of God coming into the world. And he produces great wine, not the cheapy bottles that I get from the bottom shelf, but the top notch, the best wine. It's extravagant in its love and its outpouring. And again, we see this here. Many are brought to Jesus and they are healed. This isn't stingy. This isn't closed off. Another thing that I see in this passage of what God's kingdom is, is it's holistic. Now, some of you might hate that word because it's a word that's often used in like business speak and things like that. Oh, we need to think holistically. And it kind of means nothing and it's nonsense. And I find it really funny. Our culture kind of jumps on board or it suddenly has like a bright idea of what we need to make our life better. Mindfulness is one. Mindfulness is great. It's in the Bible. Ecclesiastes talks about how we need to live in the present and ground ourselves in the here and now, and that will help us. Help us to stop worrying about what might happen or what could happen in the future. Our world, our culture has suddenly realized, oh, we can't just work seven days a week for a whole year. That's not good for us. We need to rest. Well, God built that into his kingdom. The Ten Commandments talks about the Sabbath. We need to stop. We need to rest. The Bible talks about not not being a glutton, not eating so much that we're unhealthy. How often do we hear, oh yeah, we need to improve our diets and how that affects various aspects of our lives. And this notion of being holistic isn't a new one. Jesus here, he deals with the physical and the spiritual or mental. Now, I think there will be lots of people who would have very different ideas on what what it means when Jesus says that he cast out um, cast out demons from people. Now, I'm, I'm not going to say what, if I believe one thing or another, but I think one way that we can interpret this is our mental health, that there is something beyond our physical that Jesus wants to fix. Now, I'm not saying that that means that there, there can't be something demon and evil in the spiritual realm, which kind of causes that. We can talk about that later. But At the very least, there is something more than just our physical ailments that Jesus wants to help us with. He wants to cure us holistically. And again, that's throughout the teaching that Jesus gives on the Sermon on the Mount, as well as his actions. If Jesus came and said, I forgive you of your sins, but left you with a broken arm, you'd be like, I really appreciate that, but also I can't work and I can't feed my family because I can't work because I've got a broken arm. Jesus fixes all of the different things. He wants us whole. It's an easy trap that we fall into, that we, uh, we separate out our physical from our spiritual, from our mental. Whereas actually all of these things are intertwined and God cares deeply about every one of these things. The other thing that strikes me about this passage in terms of God's kingdom and and thinking about it in terms of what the people's expectations were. So there was the nationalistic, the closed off, and then there was the apocalyptic, the sort of vague notion of, of God intervening. Well, there is truth in that because when we come down to... Um, Verse 17, and the quote that Matthew uses from Isaiah, it says, he took up our infirmities and carried our diseases away. It's an act of God. 
This isn't something that the people have somehow deserved. It's not something that they have triggered of, on, or of their own. It's something that God has intervened to do. And it's in his action that our infirmities are taken up. Infirmities are illnesses. I'm going to read uh, just a couple of verses from Isaiah. So this is Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet he considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Transgressions can mean sin or the wrongdoing that we do. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now this is a passage from the Old Testament, and this is a passage that was talking about God's Messiah. This was written centuries before Jesus came along. But this is part of what informed people in terms of what they expected when God's chosen one came into the earth. And it shows how it's God acting, God putting our needs as his priority to bring healing physically and spiritually. It's something that we all need. And it's something that we keep on needing. And it's interesting because what Jesus does, and especially with those expectations of one being very earthly and bound up in national borders, and one being very kind of airy, fairy, pie in the sky, very vague, Jesus somehow marries up these two things. Because what Matthew is doing when he, he quotes this passage, he's also pointing forward to what Jesus will ultimately do in his death and his resurrection. The ultimate sacrifice that Jesus makes brings us peace. It's by his wounds that we are healed. And we live in a time that is now... We can live under God's rule now. We can be in God's kingdom now. We can see this wholeness and this fullness that Jesus is talking about and that he demonstrates. We can live in that now. But we also know we look at a world that is broken and we look at our lives and sometimes we we have long-term health issues. We have mental health problems. We have things going on in our lives and we think, how do I marry that up with God being king? There is also an element to which this will be completed in the future. And we have to live with that tension. And although that can be hard to do sometimes, we need to recognize that God is welcoming us in. He is generous. He is open-armed. And he wants us to live the best life under his kingdom, under his rule. If I were king, the world would be a horrible place. And we see that in the world amongst us. We see what kings do when they have power. We see what a world looks like when humans rule and neglect God. Israel saw that. They had David as their best king. He was an adulterer. He wasn't that great. And then his sons carried on doing these things. Human kings mess up. We spoil things. But we have the option to live in the fullness that God wants us to experience. And so I want us to think about what does it mean for us to be under God's rule? And again, the the language of this can feel quite difficult 
because it can feel oppressive because we think about human kings. I don't want to be under someone else's rule. I don't want someone else telling me what to do. But rather than an oppression, it's freeing. Jesus showed us what the kingdom of God looked like, what it looks like when God is king. And that's something that we all need to figure out in our own lives as well. What does it mean for God to be king? I know there are places in my life where I say, Lord, reign in me, reign over me. And there are parts of my life that I think, but not that bit. I kind of like that. I'm sort of content with that little bit of sin. That's just a physical thing. My spiritual side, I give all to you, but this physical bit, I'm going to keep for myself. What does it mean to live under God's rule? To finish, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. I just want to run through thinking about the Lord's Prayer Again, through this lens of God's kingdom. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. God, you're holy, you're other, you're different, you're higher than us. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we see the brokenness in this world around us. We see the hurt, the suffering in our own lives and in the lives around us. God, we want to know what it, like, what it looks like to see your healing and your fullness of life come here just like it does where you rule in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. God, you care about our physical needs. Thank you. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. God, you care about our spiritual needs because on our own, we are broken. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, there are times where I don't want you to rule in my life. Because the temptation looks so good. God, deliver us from evil. Take us from those situations. Help us with those situations. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We believe that there will come a day where God's rule will be fully met. And we will see the fullness that we see in Jesus ruling in our lives and over us where we will know God's holistic healing, spiritually, physically, mentally, throughout our lives and throughout our broken world. So I don't know if you want to stand and we'll say the Lord's Prayer together. Um, I'll lead, I, let's go through it kind of slowish. Let's not, we're not racing to get to the end. But let's think through what these words mean for us going forward. So let's say this prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to Words of Welcome. For new episodes and more, please visit welcomebaptistchurch.uk.